The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. I want to share with you an unbelievable story that happened in this month, Chedish year, in Tovshin Samazayan. Shalom. Hello. Am I speaking with Rabbi Ruvein Meyer? Yes, that's my name. Who am I talking to, please? It doesn't matter. I'd really not say my name at this point. Tell me, are you the rabbi that takes care of Shemitah? Are you the rabbi that's in charge of the organization that helps people out with Shemitah? Yes, I am. How can I help you? Well, I'm a farmer from down south. Don't worry, I'm not a dati. I'm not from. I'm a chiloni. I'm a totally secular Jew. But I'm a farmer. And I decided that this, this coming year, I understand the Shemitah, is that correct? Yes. I decided, me and my wife, that we are going to be Shemer Shemitah this coming year. And I want to know if you could help me. The Simcha Rabbah, I'd love to help you. Where would you like to meet? The farmer said, on my part, I'd love to meet you today at 4 o'clock in the gear station parking lot by Coca-Cola right outside B'nai Brak, by Route 4. No problem. I'm ready. I'll be there. Ruben Meyer was very, very inquisitive. He couldn't imagine. He's been dealing with Shemitah for 30 years. He's always sending his team from one Moshav to the next Moshav, trying to cajole farmers. We'll help you. We'll pay you. We'll cover your expenses. We'll keep you going. We'll teach you another trade to keep you going. We'll keep you busy. We'll have chavrusas with you, for you. We'll, we'll satisfy you. You'll be very happy you kept Shemitah. But you have to convince the farmers. But out of the blue, to get a phone call, hello, I'm a fryer guy, I'm a farmer, I want to keep Shemitah, never happened in 30 years. Something must be going on. Who is this guy? I wonder what he looks like. Well, Ruben Maya didn't take anything for granted. And at 4 o'clock, you could be assured, he was in the parking lot looking at everybody who else was in the parking lot to try to sum up, to figure out, is this the farmer? Is this the guy I'm looking for? And sure enough, at about 3-4 minutes after 4, a very fancy car pulls into the gas station and he parks. He doesn't shut his motor. But he gets out of the car and he starts looking around. And he's looking in all directions. And Ruben Maya says, this must be him. Ruben Maya leaves his car, locks it, walks over to this farmer. And he says, shalom. He sticks his hand out. Hello, how are you? Are you, are you Ruben Meyer? Yes. Are you the farmer? Yes. He says, why don't you join me in my car? The seats go down. I have some drinks for you. Come join me, let's talk. Ruben Meyer gets into the car and he says, I'm so pleased to meet you. 
and the guys, the farmer starts talking. First of all, I want to introduce myself. My name is Lior. And I want you to know, I'm a farmer in the southern district of Beersheba, below Beersheba. And I heard about Shemitah. And me and my wife decided that we are going to keep Shemitah this coming year. We're going to keep Shemitah. By hook or by crook, we're going to keep Shemitah. Okay. The only thing is, two things. First of all, I want to know how much does it cost. And second of all, what does it entail? Ruben Meyer starts laughing. And he says, the first question is easy, the second one is hard. The first question, you want to know what does it cost? It's free. You don't have to pay anything. The second question is much harder. Shemitah entails doing absolutely no work in your field the entire year. He says, what are you talking about? He says, yes, you heard me. You're not going to touch your field the entire year. I don't know what you grow yet. Maybe some things you could do. But if you're growing produce, you're not touching your field the entire year. Adarabah, from now until Rosh Hashanah, we're going to prepare your field that it should be able to lay fallow and, and dry without anything planted in it. And it shouldn't disturb it for the following year after Shemitah when you're going to start planting again. Oh, that's it. That's much harder than I thought it would be. I thought just maybe you just, I can't do the work myself, something like that. I can have Arabs working in my field. No, 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 no. It's not our land. The land belongs to Hashem. Hashem said, if you work in my field for six years, I'll let you. But the seventh year is mine. And I want it to lay empty, desolate. So that's what we got to do. You want to keep Shemitah? That's the rules. That's it. That's the whole Torah of Shemitah on one foot. No work. The farmer was in shock. But the farmer said, I don't know what to tell you. But I'm in it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Don't worry, said Reuven. We will help you every set of the way. We will take care of everything that has to be done. We do it for hundreds and thousands of farmers. We know what we're doing. You'll be very comfortable. Don't worry. In a few days, we're going to send a farmer that's going to talk to you about the plans of how to prepare the field for next year and how a, a, a property, a land, stays desolate for a whole year. And then we will have people helping you every step of the way. We have dedicated workers that are going to help you in the farm to prepare everything and during the year to take care of everything that has to be taken care of. Everything's going to be done. You don't worry, but we'll take care of it for you. He says, okay, we got a deal. It's done. Reuven Maya tells him, listen here, 
Don't be such a big shot. I'm telling you now, it's in the soyer. It's not simple. But the, the reward is unbelievable. The farmer told him, I know. I know. I even know better than you. Ruben Meyer saying, what's going on? What is this farmer talking about? He knows better than me. I mean, I know Parshas Bahar by heart. Hashem's going to pay. It's going to be enough for three, for three years. And Rashi tells us that sometimes it's even enough for four years. When Yovel comes after Shemitah, and you can't work two years in a row, the 49th year and the 50th year. And Hashem says, chill out. On my back. I'll take care of it. You'll have enough. Don't worry. And the farmer tells back, Ruve Maya, I told you before, don't tell me, I know better than you. And Ruve Maya says, all right, I'm not going to argue with you. And he says, okay, fine, have a nice day. And the farmer says, one second, I want to ask you one more question. You don't want to know why I want to keep Shemitah? He says, I don't want to know. Since I hung up the phone from you four hours ago, I couldn't understand what went into your head, why you want to keep Shemitah. And now that I met you, and you're telling me all these things, boy, do I want to know. But you didn't share your story. So I didn't want to pressure you. But I would love to hear your story. And the farmer said, fine, let me tell you a story. A story and a story. About two years ago, one night by supper, the family was together, we were eating supper. And my wife tells me, you know, it's so interesting. We're Jews. We're lucky we're living in the Holy Land, in God's given land to the Jews. But what does that mean? What does it mean we're Jews? What does it mean Eretz Israel? What is that? What's so special about it? Why does Eretz Yisrael match Klal Yisrael? What does one have to do with the other? Why does Hashem feel that Eretz Yisrael is suitable for Klal Yisrael? We have no idea. We don't know anything about Judaism. And my daughter said, that's right, why can't we learn about Judaism? They teach some things in school. So I, I spoke it over with my wife and we decided... We're going to buy the Bible. Tanakh. And we're going to buy four copies, one for everybody in the family. And every night by supper, we're going to learn two or three chapters. We're going to get to know about our history. I called my friends if they know where to get a Tanakh. Nobody knew. One guy says in Bnei Brak. So I got in my car. I drove to Bnei Brak. I went to a store. They sold earrings. I said, I want to buy a Tanakh. The guy took one look at me, and he said, sure, come with me. He walked out of the store. He didn't even lock it. He just walked it out. There were three, four people in the store. And he took me around the corner, and he showed me a Judaic store. I walked in there, and I, and I looked around, and I said, so many Tanakhs, so many Bibles, 
And the guy says, no, no, no. I'll show you the Tanakh. And he shows me this, the storekeeper. He says, this guy wants a Tanakh. Could you help him? So he brings me to the shelf, and they have Tanakhs, big ones, small ones, fat ones, skinny ones, with commentary, without commentary. Oh, I was so mixed up, I didn't know what I was going to do. I told the guy, listen here, I'm a farmer. I'm Chiloni. But my family wants to know about our history. What do you recommend? What should we get? He gave me a Tanakh with a commentary in the back. And he tells me, if there's anything that you don't understand, look in the back. Because in Judaism, the Tanakh could be read many ways. And there were many generations of scholars, and they taught us how to read the Tanakh. And a lot of things that it says in there, there's not literal. And you have to understand, you really need a teacher to teach you. But if you want to read it, here's a commentary in the back. And anything that you need to know, you can turn to the back. Fine. I bought four copies. And I came home. And that night at supper, we started. We started from the beginning. And every night we would learn one or two chapters. We'd eat supper outside in the field, outside our house. And we would take out the Tanakhs. And we would literally love, enjoy, drink it up. It was so fascinating. We have such a beautiful history. And we went Parsha after Parsha, Chumash after Chumash, until we came to Parsha's Bahar. We came to Parsha's Bahar, and we start reading. Wow, this was said on Sinai. Hey, where was everything else said? Not in Sinai? I turned to the commentary in the back, and I see they quote Rashi. Rashi was a scholar in the 11th century, and he tells us from the Bible, from the Talmud, that just like Shemitah with all its little nuances and little laws were given in Sinai, so too everything else was given in Sinai. Very good. And we start reading. Six years you should plant your field. Hey, hey, my daughter says, now they're finally talking about us. This is about us. Yeah, okay, let's read. Six years you should take care of your vineyards. And it will grow. And then at the end of the summer, you get all your produce, you, you get it. You spread it out, it dries out in the field, you bring it into the house, you package it, you sell it, you make money, you live. Okay, my daughter says, why only six years? I'm already ten, and we've been planting more than six years over here. And my wife says, actually we're planting almost 25 years. And then we read the next passage. In the seventh year, it's a rest. The seventh year, you should not plant your field. Don't tend to your vineyard in the seventh year. And we were going crazy. My wife says, but if you don't plant, 
you don't grow. And if you don't grow, you can't sell. And if you don't sell, you have no money. Now, we know that the Jewish nation, in the time of biblical times, they were an agricultural economy. Everybody had fields. They didn't build skyscrapers in those days. They tended the fields. And everybody grew tvua, fruit, and they sold it. And Zvulan went and took all the fruit and he would take his ships and they would go to Europe, to Africa, and they would sell Israeli produce. And they made a lot of money. And Zvulan would come back and give people the money that they got for selling their produce. And Yisachar, for sitting and learning, he would share his profits with. And that's how they lived. But if nobody plants on the sixth, seventh year, how did an entire nation survive? And me and my wife were looking at each other when out of the blue, my daughter calls out and said, Abba, Terebech Pasuk Chaf. Look at Pasuk Chaf. So we turned the page without going further. We turned the page to Pasuk Chaf. And she tells us, the Torah itself asks our question. What are we going to eat in the seventh year? If you don't plant, you don't bring in fruit. You don't bring in the produce. How are you going to eat? How are you going to live? And the Torah answers, don't worry, Pasuk Chafalov. God will pay you back. And in the sixth year, you will have such a bountiful produce yield will be three times the norm. You're going to get three times his mount. And then you'll have seeds to plant the eighth year. You'll have enough to eat till the ninth year. And then everything starts again. The Torah asked our question. And the Torah answered our question. And I said, eh, come on, you believe it? My wife tells me, Liar. How about trying Hashem out? Maybe it's true. What do we have to lose? A year's worth of income? We're rich. We could manage. We could, we could make it for a year without any money. Come on. What do you have to lose? And that little pintalayud in me, even though I didn't keep the Torah and I was, and I'm fry, and I'm still fry. I'm a chiloni. But there was some Jewish spark in me that said, you know, let's do it. We threw the towel in and we said, we make a commitment that we are going to keep this Shemitah. We don't know what it means. We don't know the rules. We don't know how to do it. But we're going to keep Shemitah. At this point, Ruve Maya tells him, no, did Hashem keep his word? Did you get triple? And the farmer says, nope. He says, what are you talking about? 
You're in the middle of the sixth year right now. You didn't get triple? Come on. He says, no. He says, you're holding something back from me. You're not telling me the whole story. What did you get? Lior said, I'm embarrassed to tell you. I got five times what I normally get. He says, what are you talking about? He says, let me tell you, I'm growing in my 40 dunam of land that I have for the last 25 years. And every year, I grow the same thing. I grow peppers. Most, I would say 90% of my yield gets exported to Europe. There are agents that specialize in buying quantities of fruit from big farmers. And they take their promise from the farmer and they go around and they sell it to wholesalers and distributors who sell it to retailers. And these agents offer me the going rate and I can make another 20 agarot, 40 agarot up a kilo. But basically I get between three and a half and four kilo, four, four shekel per kilo. Four shekel in those days was probably, I would say, a dollar and a quarter for two pounds, 2.2 pounds. It means the farm is making roughly 65, 70 cents a pound. That's what they make. I know from farmers that sell tomatoes that you pay in the store a dollar seventy nine a pound. Farmers are getting forty fifty cents a pound because the the agents have to make money and the and the whole, distributors have to make money and the wholesalers make money and the retailers have to make money. Everybody makes a little bit, so the farmer gets the least. He gets nothing for a case of tomatoes. It's a joke. That's why a lot of farmers, they don't want to sell it to the market. They go to a a tomato sauce factory or a ketchup factory and they sell direct to them. Because from them, instead of getting 40 cents a pound, they can get 65, 85, 90 cents a pound, whatever it should be. And they can give them rotten tomatoes because it's getting grinded up anyways, you know. So every year I get about three and a half to four shekel per kilo of peppers. This year, everything's the same. I planted my same amount of peppers in my 40 dunam. I grew a regular yield, not one extra pepper in the whole field. One day I get a phone call from one of the syndicators, one of the agents, who calls me and says, you have peppers this year? He says, yeah. He says, can you reserve everything for me? I'll pay you nicely. He says, yeah, what are you going to pay me? He says, I'll pay you eight shekel a kilo. As soon as I heard him say eight shekel a kilo, bells went off in my mind. And I said, he's not offering me eight shekel a kilo unless he's desperate. I said, I'll think about it. He says, all right, all right, I'll give you ten. 
I said, I told you I'll think about it. Okay, I'll call you back next week. Two days later, I get a phone call from another guy. He says, you got peppers? He says, yeah. He says, I'll give you 10 shekel a kilo. He says, starts living. 10 shekel a kilo is not going to get you a half a pepper. He says, what do you want, 14? I didn't say anything. I left. He says, all right, I'll give you 15 shekel. I left. He says, you want 16? Okay, I'll give you 16, but I'm not giving you a penny more. The other guy calls me back next week. And he says, so did you get any other offers? I said, yes. He says, what's your highest offer? I says, I'm not telling you. He says, I'm giving it to the highest bidder. And that's it. So from now on, I'm only taking closed bids. You got to put your highest bid on a piece of paper, seal the envelope, and mail it to me. And when I get all the mail, I'm going to open it up, and whoever gave me the highest is going to get it. Okay. I gave a deadline for two weeks, and every day I was getting overnight Federal Express envelopes from many, many dealers trying to buy my peppers. Two weeks later, I opened up all the envelopes, and the highest bid was 1850, 18 and a half shekel. And I sold it to him. And I asked him, tell me, what happened? Why are you paying me so much money for peppers this year? He says, you don't hear what happened, but they're trying to keep it a secret. But three months ago, the Board of Health goes to everybody's fields to check on them, to make sure that everything is healthy. And there's no bacteria growing, no poison. And in Spain, they went to the pepper fields and they saw that there's something wrong with all the peppers. The levels of unhealthy, whatever it was, was way high. And they told the farmer, you're not growing peppers, you can grow peppers from tomorrow. These peppers are not coming to the market. And they went to the next field. They found the entire Spain. They couldn't imagine what happened. And they started doing an investigation. They found out that every farmer needs to buy seeds. And this farmer and that farmer, they're all looking for who's got the cheapest seeds. And one agent came and said, I got seeds, half price. It's coming out of China. And we all bought these cheap seeds. And we all found out together that cheap is expensive. We worked for three months tending the fields, growing the peppers, and everything is going in the garbage. And in the entire Europe, almost every single farmer bought those seeds. And there are zero peppers to buy in Europe. And everybody's trying to get peppers, and people need peppers, and people are going to pay anything for peppers. And therefore, I paid you eighteen fifty a kilo. And you know, if you take eighteen fifty and you divide it by three and a half, you know what you get? It's almost five times as much. I grew the same thing. Same amount of peppers grew. But my yield in the bank is five times what I usually have. That means I could live now 
without any money for five years. And now, it's come the time that my wife and I keep our part of the deal. We will keep Shemitah this year. And they did. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.